So you got a whole uh, alpha team now, don't you? But you, but you have a wealth of knowledge that is beneficial to a lot of people, and it we can move the needle. How often do you hear a hunting podcast? We talked about this. People relate to this. What's cracking, everybody? It's Monday morning. I'm not going to lie. I'm tired as shit. My wife decided to get a new puppy, and that little fucker is waking me up all night long. But other than that, I do have exciting news. Uh, somewhat longtime friend, uh, Chad Bryson, Captain Chad Bryson, is on the mic in the great state of Georgia. <laughs> What's happening, man? Not much, buddy. How you doing? Good, good. So give a little background. Chad uh, worked with me. Uh, we worked together down at, at Scotty's at uh, Guiding for Our Dad and uh, for a couple years. And Chad's also a fly fishing guide extraordinary. But tell everybody a little bit about yourself. I mean, I don't know about extraordinary, but I've, I have well, been pretty extraordinary compared to me. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, I don't know you'd probably be fine at it if you just did it more. Um, but I, I have somehow magically been able to make a living as a fly fishing and, and hunting guide for the past 30 years. So either I'm, either I'm dumb and tough or I do okay at it. Yeah. When you, you do, you're probably 70, 30 to the fishing and then fill, fill in on the, the hunting when the fishing is not, when, you know what I mean? When the fishing's not hot and heavy, or yeah. at least that's what I kind of perceived. Yeah. Like that's what your fill in work. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. And it's, and truth be told, it's really kind of always been that way. Um, early on, if I'd had my preferences, I would have, I would have had it completely reversed you know, 70% hunting and only 30% fishing, but fishing was available and it made more money back then. So that was how it went. And that's really kind of how it's always been from then on. And and that's fine. And I like it. It's changed a lot over the past few years. Um, the fly fishing end of it has, but uh, yeah, but that that's pretty much how it's always been. Yeah. And you, so you've done a little bit of, well, I say a, lit, a lot of bit, but you've done everything from down in the Keys, Florida to Alaska and everything else in between um, and worked full time up in Alaska well, during the season for, for several years. But you you were down in Florida for quite a bit doing the, and I don't know shit about fishing in Florida, but like tarpon and things like that, were you? Yeah, I did that down there for a lot of years too. Uh, that was that was pre-Alaska when I did that, and I was also a private captain, um, and you know during that time as well. But I've been incredibly fortunate, man. Like you know, at, at this point in my life, I don't you know you look back on the last thirty years, and I'm like, man, I don't have shit to show for it except for a whole lot of pictures and memories. But you know, I've been really fortunate that I've been able to work pretty much everywhere in the world that I ever wanted to work as a fishing or hunting guide. And there's a couple of places left that I'd really kind of like to go. But at this point in my life, at my age and with the way the world is now, it's probably not going to happen. I mean, I don't really see me going to Russia to work as a guide anytime ever yeah. until I'm dead. probably. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, so that's one. Yeah. With you, with you, like the transition, we'll go kind of go over that in a minute. But like in Florida, what's hot? And so, 
again, I, and my limited experience is like the big titted fisherwoman that you see um, on social a lot down there. There's a lot of those pages. And then some of the more higher end clients that I'll see or people I know that fish down there. Um, and, you know, and yeah. then my, my wife, uh, her um, whole family is from down there and, and guide and stuff. The clientele down there, does that just burn you down? Uh, is it like four-hour or eight-hour trips, and is it just ongoing? Um, it, it, it'll cook you, man. I mean, it'll just like – it'll bake you out worse than a meth house. I mean, just it, – it, so day during tarpon season, my typical day would start at like – I would get out of bed at 4 a.m., get up, get coffee, get myself going, pick up my clients at 5.30, take them out, catch a little bit of bait. You do your half-day fishing, so that's over at like mm, 10.30, 11 o'clock. You got enough time to get some food for lunch, pick up your next people, do another half-day, drop them off at 4.30, 5 o'clock, pick up your next people at 6 p.m., fish them till. 10 30 11 o'clock at night come in wash your boat clean everything up go to bed for three four hours wake up and do it all over again for like 90 days and so and it makes money it makes a lot of money and people come to florida because it's a place that you associate with you know people wake up in the morning and they say man i really want to go to florida and catch a tarpon or a or, or big redfish or marlin or, or whatever the case may be. And it's a, it's a known place where people have dreams and aspirations to come and do that. And so if you're capable and you're, you're either dumb or tough enough to be able to do it, like you can go there and make really good money and make a really good living doing that. But yeah, you, you totally get burned out, just completely cooked. So, uh, with when you like when you said you're a, like a private captain, does that mean and again, you know, showing my ignorance here with hunting, you have an outfitter and then guides when you're a captain. Is that kind of the same as being an outfitter where you're taking your own boat out in charge of your own destiny or does it work the same way with hunting and fishing? Um, I mean, it, it's basically the same. I mean, in some regards. So like when I say I was a private captain, um, there was a guy that lived down there that had done very well for himself. And he had a couple of big offshore boats, uh, as well as some inshore boats. And he just needed one guy to run all of his boats for him. He was, he was older and, uh, he just needed one guy that was a, a certified coast guard captain to run boats for him, maintain the boats and all of that. And that way, when his family or his friends came around and, and wanted to go fishing or when when that guy wanted to go fishing, then, you know, I was on call. I was on call seven days a week, you know, all the time. And, uh, yeah, and so that's how that worked. But like a lot of the that's a and that's a that's kind of a rare and hard to get job. And I was lucky enough to get that job. Um, but most of the guys down there, they're they're a captain. And so, like, what will happen is somebody somebody will say, gosh, you know what? I really want a 72-foot Viking sport fisher, but I don't have a clue about what to do with it after I write the check. And so they buy the boat, 
and they hire a captain that knows about that boat so that then they can use the boat to make money by selling charter trips on the day. And then they, you know, they make their their payment, their escrow on the boat. And, and that's how that works. But then there's also guys down there that own their own boat, run their own charter service, um, you know, and they're, they're basically like, they're the outfitter, they're the guy, they're, they're everything, you know, it's, uh, they're the, the one man show, so to speak, but so, yeah, it kind of works the same. Gotcha. So I'm like pulling up, I'm Googleizing here. So it looks like it's about a grand a day on average for a full day or a little more for bonefish, permit, redfish, snook, snapper, tarpon, mackerel, cobia, black drum, right. and something jack, Cre- crevail jack. How do you say that? Yeah. So is yeah, it, the inshore species. So do you, so do you, that's it. Is, does it about a grand a day? Does that sound about right? Sounds about right for now. I can tell you back when I did it, it didn't pay that much. <laughs> so. um, <laughs> it definitely didn't pay that much. Back when I was down there doing that work, uh, gosh, I wanted to say a half day was, man, back then that was a half day was like $450 and a full day was 650 yeah, and but you didn't want to book a you didn't want to book a full day at six fifty because it kept you from making nine hundred on two half days. So like if you had any business sense at all, you'd book yourself for two half days because you made more money. And at the end of the day in the Florida Keys, man, it's hot. I don't care what time of year you go, it's hot. And people on a flats boat out there on the water and and burning sun with no shade. I mean, like you can't even write a book and have a dream about some shade. So you're just roasting and and, and cooking. Uh, people only want about four or five hours. That's really about all they can take. So the two half days back then made way more money. No, that makes, makes sense. And, you know, I, again, I never really learned, don't, I don't know shit about this. So like pulling it up, obviously there's some money into it for someone because there's a ton of paid and sponsored ads, right? Which, you know, costs money, but how competitive is that shit? Cause from the Googleizing standpoint, it looks pretty fucking competitive. Yes. And again, like back when I did it, I mean, Google was around, but, and it was competitive, but basically back then you, you got all of your trips through word of mouth and there was a, there was a process of, of becoming a vetted captain. And, you know, and it was that you went to the keys and you worked on a headboat or a party boat, you know, where you get 50 people that get on a boat and they all go fishing for a few hours and then you bring them back in sort of like a Gilligan trip, um, you know, three hour tour. But, uh, the, the vetting process worked that you did that first. Like if you went down there with a, with a plan that you wanted to be a guide or a captain or whatever, and it didn't matter, even if you maybe, maybe you already had your captain's license, but if you went to the keys, you worked on a headboat for six months. And when your six months was up and the local shops knew that you'd done your six months on the headboat, then they would talk to you before that. I mean, unless you were just somebody ultra famous or ultra known in the industry, you know, well known as a respected person, nobody would talk to you. And, you know, the keys was, a was, and I guess still is 
a pretty small community, close knit, small community. And, uh, there's a lot of, and I hate the term, but all of us are, but you know, there's a lot of outsiders in the keys now, guys that just come down for two months and then leave and, you know, and they're not part of the full-time community, but still pretty small when you, when you try and get in with those guys that are there full-time that have done it for years. So, on that note, like with the, uh, the outsiders. So, uh, you know, this is the last time I'll say this, but being a total novice outsider, you know, someone you and I both know just happenstance, you and I are working together was copper plated sixes, uh, who has a comical page. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. he brings things Com- up. Oh, go ahead. No, it's, it's comical. I agree. <laughs> he, he brings things up. Um, that, you know, to a novice like myself that, that, um, you know, I, the tarpon handling of the tarpon, the newbies guiding the, that they just kind of show up, um, the industry in general and the fishing side, some of it sounds a lot like the hunting side and probably any photography or anything else to where someone like me, I don't know shit from apple butter about fishing in Florida to where, you know, the, the tarpon are the numbers down mishandling of them and then doing it for the gram stuff. And then the more novices or guys who, or gals who haven't paid their dues, uh, is that as bad as he portrays it down there? The truth be told, man, it's, it's probably way worse than what he portrays. I mean, because there's there, as you know, there's only a certain amount of truth that you can tell through social media before somebody starts calling you a liar. And so in my opinion, what copper is doing, it, it, you know, he's, he's sending the right message. It's a hundred percent true, but it's only scratching the surface of what's really going on. Um, and, <laughs> You know, okay, fine. I'm a fly fishing guide. I have been pretty much my whole life since I was a teenager. But there's this thing about, oh, well, I'm a fly fisherman. So, you know, I'm, I hate to say better. That's not really the word, but like I'm, I'm a little bit more elitist than a, than a guy with conventional gear and bait or whatever, because, you know, we're, we're catching release. We're all of these things. And then, you know, and the, I mean, the fly fishing people are going to probably hate me for it, but it's okay. I'm known for hurting feelings, but I mean, come on, man. You just stuck a piece of metal in a fish's face for your own selfish pleasure. Don't sit there and tell me how elitist you are because you're fly fishing. Like, if you like it, you like doing it because it's fun, then great. Do it. Have fun. If you don't want to permanently damage or kill that fish, then fine. There's a, there is a way to do it where you can do that and have your fun and the fish swims away. But all of us in the business, in the keys, in Alaska, everywhere, all of us have noticed that since social media has become what it is, there, there's a whole lot of fish out there that are, swimming sideways and they're missing half their mandibles and the eyeballs missing. And it, and that is from the mishandling. I mean, it, it really is. Gotcha. So what about on the, um, the seasonal 
guiding kind of showing up in a turf that may they may they may not have or or you know he or she may not have earned does that pretty bad down there um and or does that kind of settle or handle itself it is pretty bad down there it's also pretty bad everywhere now um i got buddies that got out there on the north Platte, out there in your new state um, and it's it's happening there. It's been happening in Montana for years. It's it's certainly happening in Alaska. And so, like, I kind of have a, a mix, not really a mixed opinion, but I have a different opinion about that because, you know, so like guiding guiding in the Florida Keys. Okay, fine. I wasn't born in the Keys. Very few people are born in the Keys. Um, there's a lot of people born in South Florida that migrate to the Keys, but you know, they earn their spot. Like those guys earned their spot and you earn your place and you earn your respect. And so like guiding in Alaska, man, I can tell you after two decades of guiding in Alaska, I have only ever met two people that guide in Alaska that are from Alaska. Every other single person is from somewhere else, myself included. And it's one of those things like, man, it's super cool. And you're living the dream of, of going to your dream spots to, to go and work or to just, you know, go and fish or whatever you're going, you're living your dream out and you get there and you're so hot to trot on the whole thing that you just run over everybody else's lines. You run over their fish, you drive over. I mean, it's like, it's a disaster. And, you know, when I was coming up and, and learning my place, in the guide business, you paid respect to the people that were there before you. And if you were nice enough, maybe those people would help you to not be an idiot. And that seems to not happen so much anymore. In my opinion is that it doesn't happen so much anymore because the younger crowd that's coming in now, and I hate to make it about young people or old people, but Typically, the people coming in are a lot younger than me. They're not programmed that same way like you were, like I was, like Scotty was, like, you know, the people that were here before you, you kept your head down, you worked hard, you did a good job. Maybe somebody would help you to not be an idiot. And they don't want that help. They want us to just go away and get out of the way. And that's where the big changes come around that I've seen. So kind of paralleling it to, to hunting it. And, and again, I'm, I'm everything for me, you know, I, I know hunting and, and guiding and, 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 you know, public land hunting, whatever. So let's say kind of the same parallel. I'm on the side of a mountain and I got there first, quote unquote, right. I backpacked in and I'm glassing and someone strolls in, or let's say I got there second and someone's in a spot that I was going to hunt for me. I go up and I'm like, Hey, what's going on? I was going to hunt back here. Where are you guys going to hunt? And cause there's, there's only one of two ways this goes. One of them's good. One of them's not fucking good. And the one is, <laughs> Hey, I'm going to hunt right here. And I'm like, cool, cool. I got another spot. I'm going to head over here. If I tag out and, uh, you know, I'm doing good over there, I'll come back and grab you guys. Can you do the same thing? And you handle it like, Hey, we're here. It's public land. You know, let's figure this out amicably to where we all have yep. a chance and we'll help out. Is it other is, which I've had this happen and I'm getting goosebumps. This public land, I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. And I'm like, really, you are. 
Well, let's see how that goes for you, Slick. Because it, it's 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 again for me, it's more of a hey, I want them to be successful, but I want to be successful too. And you generally, unless it's just way overcrowded, can work around that. Same kind of shit with the fishing. Yeah. Is that that kind of lack of respect? Oh, it's a hundred percent the same. I mean, it, it like take all of those people and personalities that you just described, pick them up with a helicopter and set them down in the keys and in, in Alaska, somewhere in the, in the bush. I mean, you just set those personalities down from a helicopter and it's exactly the same circumstance. Um, you know, and, and again, like when I was, when I was coming up and learning like those guys, would come to me at the end of the day. Cause you know, like the thing about being on a river in a boat with no motor and, you know, in a drift boat is everybody puts in, in the same spot and everybody has to get out at the same spot. So if you pulled some shenanigans, like you rest assured that there were a bunch of dudes in the parking lot waiting for you to get there so that they could quote unquote, talk about it with you. And you know, and so you knew that, and you knew that that was coming. And, uh, you know, most of the time that got handled in a pretty civil manner and, and still does, or I still did, but, um, yeah, whole lot the same, whole lot the same, but it just, it was different. It was just so different. Yeah. And I, I don't know if that's cause, um, you know, our dads beat the fuck out of us or we were taught a specific way or a little bit of both, but, and again, like you run it, not every situation is going to be perfect, right? There's going to be always right. some kind of, you know, crossing of swords, but for me and I, you know, and I've had people message me like, oh yeah, it's easy for you to say, but would you actually help? And I'm like, oh, it's documented. I've had people on the podcast that I've run into into the wilderness and help them get a deer. Um, Cause the, the thing yeah. is, you know, being realistic, the quicker I get them out of my fucking way and get them a deer, the quicker I can go to hunting. That, and <laughs> that, yeah. And it's the same on the fishing end of it. It's a hundred percent the same because like if I'm on the river and I see some guy and he's like, you know, trying to row around me or, or drive around me to get to a spot ahead of me. I'm like, you know what, whatever, dude. I mean, you can have that one spot with those three fish in it. I don't really care. I'm going to give it to you because, but I'm also going to get up there and say, hey, man, like, what's your plan for today? You know, I, you know, we're both here like, like like you were talking about when you come up on, on the mountainside and you find somebody where you were going to hunt. I'm like, hey, what's your plan for today? Let's work it out so that you still have a good fishing day and then I have a good fishing day and then neither one of us are waiting on each other at the boat ramp, you know, unless you just want to hang out. Then, you know, that's different. But um, but that's my approach on it as well. And But, gosh, you know what? Anymore, I've found that if I am not the guy that initiates that interaction – Nine times out of ten, it doesn't happen. They won't come to me, and it, and it's not just because oh well, there's Chad. I didn't you know want to. I heard he's an asshole. I don't want to talk to him. It's not because of that. It's because like it just doesn't happen anymore. Well, and I think um, you know, as you grow and mature, and and uh, you know, that may be part of it. You know, and and again, some of it's just probably the way you were taught or raised, and you know the the thing that you know some of it that's funny at times. Um, you know, if I'm in a brand new area 
um, obviously like, you know, I don't know the secrets or whatever, but if it's an area I'm very comfortable with and I, you know, I'll go up to somebody like, Hey, where are you going? And they're like super secretive. I, you know, you don't want to be an arrogant dick, but it's also like, look, bro, fuck, let's not kid ourselves here. I know where the deer are. Like you're not going to be giving away anything like by telling me where you're going. But if you don't tell me where you're going, there's a good chance we're going to run into each other. And that could be you know, we could blow each other's animals out where if you just tell me, I'm not looking for super secret info here. I just need to stay the, f- the fuck out of your way. Um, and same right. thing, like you can right. run into outfitters back there. And, you know, as a, you know, non-guided, and that generally does not go overly well either sometimes. Typically it doesn't, you know, but also it's that whole public land thing. You know, all of us are paying for it. Yeah. So might as well use it. Yeah. And I've, I've had fairly good interactions, um, you know, for, for the most part with, with, uh, with that mostly, cause you know, I'm not, I don't want to hunt where they got a bunch of clients. So it's like, you know, like when I go in and, and, and few outfitters I've run into, you know, that are kind of dickish at first, I just, am super blunt and like, look, motherfucker, I'm not, I don't want to hunt by the four fucking people you have running around. Like, you know, uh, well, yeah, like I'm not walking in behind all of that feces smell that you're putting down on the bottom of your boots. Like, don't even worry about it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's more like, hey, I'm going to get around you. Don't worry, you know, type of a thing. But again, I think being upfront, honest, talking about, you know, to to a certain degree where you're going and then be cordial, um, try to work around it generally seems to help more than hurt. Absolutely. And, you know, and to capitalize on that, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've I've looked at the, I've been in Alaska, I've looked at the weather and I've got a float plane on standby ready to come pick me up to take me and three people into a place where I'm thinking, gosh, you know what? Today I've got this to myself because I know, you know, I know timing and weather and that sort of thing to be able to get into places and get out maybe, maybe ahead of, of other people in the business. And, and you, and you set yourself up for a big failure because I'm sitting there pumping myself up about the fact that, oh, man, I've got this figured out today. I'm going to this super remote creek. It's going to be awesome. And you get there, and there's like a crowd of five people ahead of you. I'm like, oh, okay, great. So we just flew an hour for nothing. But, you know, but, but again, it's one of those things where, like, I'll go up to those dudes and be like, hey, listen, we're here together. Let's work it out. You know, how much of the, you know, how much of the Creek do you want from this point up or down? And I'll take what's left. Cause I got here last and, and it always has worked out for me. I can't think of a single time that it's never not worked out. No, that's, that's yeah. Same, same with hunting for the most part. But so when you, when you transitioned, um, from for what what made you go up to Alaska? I guess when you when you left the Keys and then decided to go up, was it like something you just wanted to do, or somebody you knew that said, "Hey, come up"? Or what happened with that? It was it was a little bit of both. Um, it was something that I'd always wanted to do. Um, my grandfather had a dream of going to Alaska, and he passed away before he ever got to see that through. And so for me, that was part of it. I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go do this for him, even though, you know, he's not here, I'm going to do it. And it was also something that I wanted as well. Um, 
and, and honestly, man, I had just gotten so burned out in the Keys. I mean, the Keys is expensive to live there. Um, you know, and everybody looks at it, it's like, oh gosh, how could you ever get tired of that? Well, you know, try replacing truck batteries three times a year and windshield wiper blades once every two weeks and tires every four months because the sun just dry rots and kills everything, you know, and then back then, I mean, gosh, the, me and my buddy, um, the first 25 grand that we made went to flood insurance alone. So it's an expensive proposition to be there. And it's, it's actually pretty hard life to live there and work there. Um, and kind of the same reason, the same thing that's brought me back to Georgia. Now, you know, we left Texas, came back to Georgia because family was here, um, and family needed us around. And my family was kind of tired of me being in the keys all the time. Um, so I really made a smart move and I came back to Georgia and then I went to work in Alaska, which is a whole lot further than the keys, but it was for a shorter amount of time. And, um, and it turned out like going up there and working in Bristol Bay was, was really good for me mentally too. Um, it was a lot of the things that it was a lot of the things naturally that I had learned growing up in Southern Appalachia and East Tennessee and Western North Carolina and those mountains, um, a lot of navigation, a lot of weather reading, you know, and the, the fishing was a big part of it, but the, the biggest part was being able to know how to get myself in there, get myself out safely with a bunch of people who were totally out of their element and, and then just knowing what I needed to do while I was there, where the, whereas in the keys, you know, weather was a big part of it and tides and everything else. But those things weren't, those things didn't come naturally for me. I had to study on that. I had to work at it and it, it just, I was good. I was plenty good enough to stay down there all the years that I did, but none of it came naturally. Whereas I went to Alaska and I'm like, Oh, Okay. Yeah, this makes sense just on a bigger scale, you know, and and everything fit, everything worked once I got there and um and I was arguably much better at guiding and working in Alaska than I was in South Florida. So with uh which we want we don't have to dive into this too much, but like the you know, for, for stress on your life, like, you know, we just moved Kafaru up here, super stressful, uh, started a couple other businesses and, uh, started drinking, uh, which you were there for part of that more <laughs> than I probably should have. You had some of the same issues in Florida and Alaska helped clean that up. And I'm saying you were an alcoholic, yeah. but, but, it, it, it's, it's oh, you can say that that's fine <laughs> well, it, <laughs> you, you can definitely say that because sir you would not be a liar well I, um, it, it, it down but, there talking with yeah. my wife that is a party scene as it should be right where alaska oh kind of come full circle with yourself and be at peace to a certain degree yeah yeah i mean i i really did i mean you know, in Florida working down there, I mean, it was nothing. I mean, you get up in the morning and, and you've got, you get in your cup of coffee, it's like half Bailey's and half coffee, you know, and that's how you start your day. And then gosh, by nine o'clock, I mean, you're 
thought, man, it's really hot and I'm really thirsty and that beer in the cooler is cold and it tastes good. And so like you fall into that, you just kind of fall into it habitually. And I mean, I hate to use the term like, oh, you know, I really didn't realize it because believe me, I realized that I was drinking like I was. Um, but you, you do just kind of fall into it habitually because it's like publicly and socially accepted. And I mean, like Duval Street in Key West, that was the first time in my entire life that I'd ever been anywhere where it was totally permissible to be absolutely shit-faced drunk in public while holding a cup of alcohol in both hands. <laughs> and nobody really cared. Like, like the worse you got, the more fun everybody else seemed to have, even law enforcement. And as long as you weren't trying to hurt anyone else or hurt yourself or, you know, cause a problem, like, man, they really didn't care. And so, like, it was, it was pretty easy to, to slip all the way out of control. Whereas, you know, in, in perspective, I, I go to work in Alaska and gosh, I'll never forget the first case of Budweiser beer I bought in Alaska. By the time it got to the lodge, I owed the pilot $75. And, and I said, wait a minute, friend, I just wanted one case of Budweiser. He said, you're damn lucky. You've got a full case instead of an 18 pack. And I thought, well, this is, this is one way to clean up the problem. And, uh, and it certainly did. And I needed that to help me get kind of centered back, if you will. Um, so that my entire life didn't revolve around waking up in the morning and pouring alcohol in my first drink of the day. Yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, with the, with the, the podcast and as you know, I get different, um, guests on here and, and go, you go through your own issues. I think like, you know, one of the things like lately I've had some different people on, like guys have trouble admitting ever that they're weak or they have a problem or, well, I could admit to you, I mean, oh. fuck, we spent the, every day together for fucking three months straight where it's like, yeah, fuck, I think I'm drinking too much. Yeah. You're like, yeah, I have another one. Like, okay, cool. But like really saying, Hi. yeah, what's that? <laughs> I said, yeah, let me get you some more. Yeah, where it's like, you know, very few guys are going to be like, you know, maybe you do. Let's talk about this and figure it out. I, I had a, a Jay Valaton on the podcast, and it was – um he's kind of a feel-good – uh, shrink, pasture, dude, whatever. And then that, that podcast went a direction where I, I told him, I was like, dude, I do not, do not know how this is going to be perceived. Like, you know, he was talking about book right. clubs with men reading together. I'm like, dude, that makes me feel weird. Fuck talking about reading that's a book with a guy. It's just even say it. And you know, it was weird, not weird. It was cool to see the amount of people that, uh, the feedback I got of uh, not saying, Hey, we all want to go read books together, but saying, yeah, man, I've, I've got an anger problem too. Or, Hey, I've went through the same stuff. I appreciate you talking about it where, you know, not saying your life was going to shit in the keys, but it certainly probably would if you stayed down there for another 10, 15, 20 years. It, I, I mean, who knows? Oh, oh no, you totally did that. My life went to hell in a handbasket on a fucking rocket ship <laughs> while I was in the keys. I mean, you could go ahead and say that. Um, and, and some of it was, was because I was drinking so much, but some of it wasn't. Some of it was just life, just life in general. You know, how it just randomly deals you out a kind of a bad hand of cards and you just got to play it through to the end. And, 
Um, but yeah, you could totally say it like that. Well, and I, I just, there's certain times like, how would you say that as a, the precipice or, or at the tipping point is where humans specifically man, actually men, actually, I, I, I'm saying that because men don't have their shit together as well as most women where you're at the tipping point and you're like, I got to change. Not like way before that, like halfway up the mountain. It's like, I'm on the cliff edge. (laughs) Like I gotta, I gotta make a fucking change. Right. And so I, I, I think that, uh, you, you know, like with, with me, I, I, you know, I, I working on stress and what, you know what I mean? Trying to get in the mountains and stay calm is like, okay, what do I need to do to make this better in the easiest? What meaning not everything's easy, but what makes the most sense And a move out of Florida to Alaska probably was the easiest and made the most sense. And you got a lot out of it. So it did. And I, you know, like it, I'd love to sit here and tell you how well I had all that planned out, but that would make me a significant liar. So my plan was just simply that, you know what, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of what I'm doing right now. I'm going to do something different. And, you know, and back then I remember thinking, gosh, I'm not getting any younger, which I wasn't even anywhere. I mean, God, we're talking about, 18, 19 years ago. So I look at, I look back now at 51 years old and I I look back now and I think, gosh, what an idiot I really was thinking that I wasn't getting any younger way back then. But, you know, but I did think that I thought, man, man, I'm not getting any younger. I need to just try and continue to do all the things that I wanted to do and try to succeed at. And Alaska was on the list and it was available and I, I had the credentials for it to, you know, as far as the captain's license and all of the other stuff, the, the wilderness EMT and everything else. But, you know, what I hadn't planned on working out, which really worked out, was when I got there, I mean, man, it's remote, you, you know, so georgia that's eastern standard time and then in alaska you're you're on that time so that's four hours time difference and so you got four hours time difference to call home nobody likes that let me tell you um nobody but what happened was i discovered that in in the remoteness of it all what i discovered was that the things that were the most important in and about life were really the most important. And I found out what those things were. And, you know, that was calling home to talk to my daughter. Um, that didn't happen very often, but that was an important thing, you know, like that, that mattered to me a whole lot. And, you know, and then worrying and wondering like, well, gosh, you know what? I'm, I'm out here in the bush. I'm on the side of this river for days on end with no cell service, no, no satellite. That was before I carried a satellite phone. And, you know, I was literally just thrown out there, thrown to the wolves, literally and figuratively, um, with no communication to anybody. And so you got plenty of time in your, I had plenty of time in my own head to get that sorted out about what's good about this and what's not good about it. And the things that aren't good, can I deal with it and can I make them better? And so it, it all worked out because the things that I wrote down at that night in my little notebook and said, you know what, I don't like this, 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 and this turned out I could make those things. I made those things better and I made it 
so that the things that were important could at least be addressed um, much more easily than they had been previous. So it, it was it was probably the best thing I ever did was to decide to make a career shift and go to Alaska. So with the um, uh, like the the career shift and and kind of taking it away from. Um, I guess with gear, right? I don't know anything about the the fly fishing down in 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 Florida in comparison to, you know, I'm like a four weight backcountry go into a high lake. I you know I don't really know shit about fly fishing other than uh, a basic amount, and I catch really dumb fish. I would imagine fly fishing is fly fishing for the most part, other than obviously you're going with you know, obviously uh, different weight rods, things like that, or how much of a change is it? Like if a guy's fished in Florida his whole life, is he going to go up to Alaska and be up for a rude awakening or vice versa? Mm, I mean, if he's fished in South Florida his whole life and he comes to Alaska, he's not going to really have that much problem, to be fair. Uh, the, the bigger issue was guys like me. So like I grew up in Southern Appalachia doing what, you just described my my life was a, a three weight or a four weight in a backpack hiking a brook trout creek hoping to catch one that was 10 inches long you know and so then i you know after you and, and learning to row drift boats to cast dry flies to trout and you know and, and a, a big trout back then was 17 18 inches and a wild 17 or 18 inch trout anywhere in the world is still a really big trout um, but that was it. And then I fast forwarded myself and went to the Florida Keys where I needed to be able to cast a, an eight or a nine weight, a hundred feet to a bonefish that was terrified. My, my learning curve from Appalachia to Florida was big, really big. Uh, so big to a point that even though I was an accomplished fly angler way back then, the the guy that I wound up working for, he said, you know what? I can't put you on a boat with fly anglers because you can't do what it takes. You can't make that cast yourself and do what it takes to be successful personally. Therefore, I can't put you on with fly anglers. So you're going to get the gear guys. And I'm like, you know, and so my little, my tiny little ego was crushed. Um, because I wasn't going to be a fly fishing guide in the Keys right off the bat. But what that guy did helped me probably more than anything, even though at the time I didn't realize it. But I thanked him six months later. And he put me on with guys with spinning rods and bait. And and that was what I needed. And so, you know, on my days off and my downtime, I went and I got better at casting. And then, you know, when I got to where I could cast a hundred feet of fly line to a bonefish that was terrified of everything in the whole world and, and actually get that fish to eat, then I was like, okay, I'm good to go now. And, and it just evolved from there. Whereas like a guy that's, that's worked in South Florida or that's fished in South Florida or anywhere on a, in a coastal, you know, ocean setting, that guy can come, gal can come to Alaska and, and expect a, a pretty good amount of success because they're kind of already overpowered for it you know um they're already familiar with the larger rods and and everything and so it's 
it's a pretty easy transition, truth be told. So for anybody listening in that, um, you know, is thinking about uh, trying to do this full time, becoming a, a fly fishing guide, would you, I mean, obviously if it's their dream, you don't ever want to, you know, shit on someone's dream, but um, you know, I, I, what I, <clears throat> I would say it's a young man's um, sport guiding in general, you know, from, you know, when I say that meaning hunting guiding is, you know, not something you want to be beating your body up later on in, in life and you don't make a ton of money at it. You just have to do it for the, that you love to do it and it keeps you, you know, makes you happy, right. Or whatever. Would, would you yeah. say the same thing for fishing? hundred percent. It's the same. Um, you know, I mean, I've had my share of, injuries over the years and my injuries really didn't start until i got to alaska but that was also at the stage in life where your body is going to start giving out um you know especially if it's had a hard life or a harder than normal life and it, it is a young man's game um a few years ago before you and i had met um you know i i had the trifecta i had a blown out knee I had a bad left hip and a, and a rotator cuff torn in my left shoulder. And I'm like, man, you know what? I don't, I mean, just go ahead and shoot me now, you know, because at that point in my life, every work day revolved around me putting on a backpack, getting on a float plane and getting dropped off in the middle of nowhere with three to six people and having to figure out my way not only to just get them to the creek or the river and help them catch fish and keep them safe, don't let them get eaten by bears, all the good stuff. I not only had to do that, but I had to figure out my way to a pickup point where a float plane could, could load all of us back in an inn and have enough room on the pond to take off. And so that was my every day. And when all the injuries, then they all kind of hit all at once. Um, you know, that got taken away from me for a little bit and, and it was ugly. And, but it is, you know, it made me realize, Hey, you know what, this is a young man's game. And truth be told, I've kind of like, I, at times I felt kind of like Brett Favre, you know, like everybody's like Jiminy Christmas, dude, you're, you're nine zillion years old. Like you're still good at it and everybody knows it, but just go ahead and quit and let somebody else have your spot. And and that's really easy to sit around and say about somebody else until it happens to you. And you're like, man, I'm not ready to quit this yet, but my body keeps telling me no, but I'm, you know, I'm, I still feel like I can pull this off. But it did make me realize that, that I did have, there was a threshold and that I was going to have to slow it down and I wasn't going to be able to continue doing it like I was doing it meant that I had to make some changes and that I, and, and furthermore, I knew that if I made those changes, that it would extend my ability to keep doing what I love to do, which is to get dropped off in the middle of nowhere and figure it out. And, you know, without going into a whole lot of detail, I mean, that's really kind of what drives me is like, leave me somewhere where no one else is around and let me figure it out and I'll see you in a few days. And that was what I loved about Alaska the most. 
Yeah. No, I mean, that's cool, especially, you know, anybody kind of tuning in, because um, I don't talk about fly fishing hardly ever, this kind of kind of stuff because you know with with alaska known as kind of the the mecca of um you know fishing it's not uh it's daunting for a lot of people um you know i say that i'm going to kodiak with my wife to go take photos of brown bears and whales and shit and we'll jump on somebody's boat and hope for the best but i mean inland like what you're doing is daunting as shit well those bears on kodiak dude they're like you could lay down and sleep with them they're fine yeah. Oh no, that part. That's what I mean. Uh, I'm not worried about that. But if I, Amy, my wife said, Hey, I want to go fishing on the, uh, inland, um, you know, interior of, of Alaska. I'd be like, yeah, I have no fucking idea what to do where in the States, no problem. Alaska, there's a lot more facilitation yeah. and it's really daunting, uh, for, you know, for people to want to do that. They don't really know where to go, what to do or how to do it. And, it, and it's expensive, but it's a lot of money logistically to get in there. Yeah. And, you know, we all, we've all made the joke for years about, about Alaska, you know, and it's like, man, you can have all the fun that you can afford to pay for in Alaska because, and, and that, I mean, it's probably true everywhere, but, you know, especially in Alaska, because everything pretty much is done in an airplane, you know, the road system is pretty minimal. I mean, I say it's minimal. It goes from one end of the state to the other north to south but the things that people actually want to do as far as like adventure and you know and and really have what what we all call the alaska experience to to get that done is expensive and it is daunting i mean you know i meet people all the time that you know either through through whatever avenue that they come across and they're like man you work in alaska how is that and i'm like well it's it's good you know it's it's hard and it's good and i've i've learned over the years that the less i say on the initiative part of the conversation or the initial part of the conversation the better because everybody just goes into overload it's like add overload or or whatever you want to call it um but the least amount that I can say in the beginning without coming off as offensive, the better the conversation goes. And I just let them get all the questions out, you know, and it's all the same questions that everyone has that's never been there. And it's, well, do you ever see any bears? Yep, sure do. Almost every day, um, sure do see them. And, you know, and then, then it just goes on from there. And it's a it's a hard concept to grasp because all of us that live in the lower 48, I mean, I'm going to guess, Aaron, even in Wyoming, where you're living now, you're probably within an hour's drive to a pretty nice grocery store, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And so, and if you didn't need to go to a pretty nice grocery store, you could probably get groceries in, gosh, what, 15, 20 minutes from your house? Oh, yeah. Yep. You, you, you could get something to make a PB&J, you know, 15, 20 minutes from your house. And so everyone in the lower 48, for the most part, lives in that sort of situation. Whereas when you do remote Alaska, there's no road. And that's really kind of the biggest thing is like, well, how do you get here? Well, it's either float plane or jet boat. That's it. 
oh, well, how did you how did you drive here? Where's your truck? Yeah, my truck's in Georgia or Texas, you know, <laughs> yeah, depending wherever. on where I'm living. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, that's, that's where it's at, and nobody drives. And so that's a hard one, and people get, do go into emotional overload because there is so much, uh, and it is such a, an overload of like, oh, my goodness, now what do I do? I, you know, and then, you know, and then they're like, well, what did the weatherman say the weather's going to be today? And I'm like, all of the above. Everything you can think of is what it's probably going to be today. And and it's just a hard one to, to grasp. But but once the, the, the sensory overload kind of starts calming down, everybody gets in their groove and, you know, and, and they find out that it's not as daunting and as difficult as they think it is because it just seems like it's so far away and it's so hard to do and it's so hard to get there and what do i do once i get there and for most people it's just more planning than they think they can handle and so therefore they don't go yeah that makes total sense but man it's noon and i'm supposed to be on a zoom call like 34 seconds ago so i gotta cut this thing off dude i appreciate you hopping on though yeah, man. No sweat. So we'll have to get you on again because I should probably talk way more technical gear stuff because uh, we didn't hit that at all. But is uh, if um, is there any place they can find you? Do you still do some guiding, things like that? Yeah, I still do a little bit of guiding in Georgia. Not too much. Um, my website is captainchadbryson.com, and it's it's a pretty simple one. It's got one blog. It's it's one page with a bunch of blog posts. Um, and I quit social media because of obvious reasons, or not obvious reasons, but some of the reasons we talked about earlier. But I did, Crystal talked me into starting back Instagram. So I did start Instagram back. It's Captain Chad Bryson. And that's, uh, that's really about it. Cool. Well, dude, I appreciate the friendship and I appreciate you hopping on here. And uh, yeah, I'll give you a call later on once I hop off this Zoom call. Okay, buddy. Sounds good. All right, brother. Take it easy. Yep.